it. But right now, I, especially if you are somebody who's just left university and just about to start the job and is trying to get the deposit together for the house, have a listen to this. Uh, Christy Shen and Bryce Leung are part of the growing FIRE movement, Financial Independence Retire Early, that encourages workers to save intensively to enable them to stop working for money far earlier than is commonly done. Uh, They are 36 and 37 right now. They've been retired for a number of years, travelling the world, thoroughly enjoying their retirement, and they've just published a memoir-come-how-to guide called Quit Like a Millionaire. I spoke to them in New York, and I asked Christy Sheen and Bryce Leung why they had opted for a, a share in stock portfolio as their means to retire early, why they hadn't gone the traditional route of home ownership. Actually, we were very pro-housing at the very beginning. Um, we had been saving up a lot of money after we started working for six years to buy a house. And that, that was, you know, the, the usual prescribed path that our parents gave us, right? Which is, you got to get the degree, then you got to get the job, <laughs> then you got to buy the house, then you work until you're 65, then you retire. That's, that's the path that everybody walks. But I totally feel your pain about the housing market in New Zealand. We actually have uh, readers on the blog that write into us about the housing prices and the pain um, for this general generation to be trying to afford to buy a house because for us even though we were making good salaries as engineers the housing price just kept going up and up and up and where we used to live in Toronto the um, average housing uh, average family home was over a million dollars so we feel your pain so mm. originally that was my dream but after like every time you save money the housing prices would go up by more than how much you saved. So it really just was like a losing battle because the goalpost kept moving. And um, it, I had an epiphany at work one day when I saw one of my coworkers collapse and almost die at his desk from overwork. Um, he had been working like 14-hour days for multiple years on end, paying off the mortgage, doing that traditional path. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Let's not, let's not do this. Um, I don't want to die at my desk trying to afford a house that's over a million dollars. Let's try to do something different instead. And then this is this is how we came up with the new rule book uh, for money, which is, you know, instead of buying a house, um, take the money and invest um, in low cost index funds. And as a result, the money is actually working to pay you instead of you constantly putting money into the house. And so you went home and said to Bryce, hey, I've got a great idea. Or how did it work out? Did you take much convincing, oh. Bryce? <laughs> No, no, it took it took a while for us to get there. Like I was just very stressed out and I, I told him what was happening at work. I was worried about outsourcing. I was worried about, you know, job security. And I was very, very frustrated by the housing market. And um, so, so Bryce started point, like yeah. doing some research at that point. So at that point, we had saved up like uh, we were very diligent savers and we had saved up half a million dollars. Wow. We, were, we, kept, we, had, we kept waiting for the we had kept waiting for the housing prices to, to stabilize, but it never, ever did. So at one point we looked at this thing and we went, OK, this is a lot of money uh, and it's still just a down payment on further debt. So we could. Um, so we could buy the million dollar house and then turn this half a million dollars of, of, of cash into half a million dollars of debt that I then have to spend the next 25 years paying off. But let's, you know, this is a lot of money. What else can we do with this stuff? So at that point, I started looking into and learning how to invest and learning the safe, like safe ways to invest in the stock market. You know, you don't pick individual stocks, you buy the entire stock market so that it, can, it can't effectively go to zero. And these are the kind of uh, tools that I ended up using that people like Warren Buffett and um, bloggers such as uh, Mr. Money Mustache and J.L. Collins uh, wrote about. And I kind of went, 
okay, that doesn't seem so hard. And when I wrote, when I figured out the math based on how much we had been saving, because again, we were desperately trying to to chase after this 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 moving goalpost of home ownership. The math worked out to be okay. I could buy a house and then be in the next debt for the next twenty five years, or I could potentially become a millionaire and retire in three. And at that point, it kind of went, well, that that choice is pretty obvious. So we ended up doing that. And it, it it actually worked out pretty much exactly where it, it was supposed to. Three years later, the half million dollars had, you know, we kept saving, but it also grew on its own to a million dollars. And at that point, that was enough for us to retire on. And, and we quit our jobs and we've been traveling the world ever since. A million dollars doesn't sound like enough to live on in this day and age. Here's the thing. It doesn't sound that that, that much because it just, it just sounds like the price of a house, right? <laughs> so. Because so it's like a million dollars can can get you the price of a house, but here is the here is the really uh, shocking thing about that. When you kind of take a look at all of these like um, retirement plan, like all this research that's been done over retirement planning, what retirement planners for you know uh, big financial companies do is there's this something called the the four percent rule, and how it works is that if you have a portfolio that's worth say a million dollars. You can safely withdraw four percent of that, so in this case forty thousand dollars, and you can keep doing that every year, and then the portfolio will never run out statistically, right? So what that does is it turns a very very um, big number into something that you can understand, which is okay. How much of of this uh, creates it creates a passive income stream, yeah. uh, and when that passive income stream is enough for you to live off of, but guess what? You don't need to work anymore. So. Uh, that's what we realized uh, when we were in Toronto because we were, you know, saving and rent. We were renting uh, and we were sharing a place and we were trying to save up as much money as we could for a house. Our living costs were quite reasonable. We were living off of about forty thousand dollars at the time. And once we hit the million dollars, we kind of went, "Hey, four percent, forty thousand dollars is is four percent of a million. I think we're done." And that's the really. Um, shocking part of this whole financial independence thing. You and I were both brought up in this mm. of crazy housing markets that, you know, a million dollars is just peanuts, right? Mm. But if you look at, if you actually figure out how to turn to a passive income stream, a million dollars is a lot of money because that means I can live off of $40,000 forever. And the thing is, people don't realize that where you earn the money is not where you need to retire, right? Uh, so the thing is, like, when you have a job, you are stuck in very expensive cities with very expensive housing because that's where all the jobs are. But what people don't realize is that after you are done and you're financially independent, you don't need to work anymore. Or even if you can remote, like, uh, negotiate a remote work situation, you don't have to be in expensive cities. And then so we, when we started traveling the world, we thought it was going to cost, you know, maybe like $100,000 a year because vacations are expensive. But the thing is, when you actually go traveling, you don't you're not restricted to like only going there on a Saturday and coming back on a Saturday. You can live like a local. So then after we travel the world, we found out that you can travel the world on forty thousand dollars a year, which is actually uh, makes more sense to travel forever rather than go back to live in a really yeah. expensive city now that we don't need the jobs anymore. Right. So it's, it's a lot of things that you don't discover until you actually get out of this kind of bubble of like yeah. you must own. You must retire, work until you're 65, which is, you know, how many jobs give you guaranteed job security until you're 65? No, that's I, quite I, true. And yeah. I imagine that that $40,000 is a base income. You would uh, supplement your earnings in other ways. Uh, you don't need to do that because mm. for us, we actually lived off of the $40,000 very easily. We're still living off $40,000. 
But if you choose to do something that you're passionate about, um, a lot of people don't take the risk of doing something that they're passionate about when they're working because they're thinking, well, what's the point? Like yeah. for me, I was writing yeah. a, a children's novel on the side and, you know, that made me like maximum $5,000 a year. Right. Mm. But if you are actually, you know, quote, quote, financially in independent, retired, then that amount of money saves you from having to save another like 250000 in the portfolio. Right. Because then you're actually gen generating um, income that is like supplementing whatever your portfolio is generating you and you don't need to make that much money from your passion. You managed to save half a million dollars in what, seven years? Approximately, six yeah, to seven, seven, years. seven yeah. years. Yeah. So I guess there'd be, you know, young people your age who are saying, how the hell did they do that? Did you live off a can of chickpeas a day? or? Yeah. That's oh, a great God, question. No. Okay, so one of the biggest things we did was uh, focus on the three most important costs, right? One is the uh, accommodations, yep. one is transportation, and the third one is food, right? Like whether we spent money on vacation, we, we blew like $5,000 a year on vacation easily because that was one area I was not willing to cut. But not buying a house and not buying a fancy condo like everyone else did um, in the middle of downtown. Like we rented a the top floor of a townhouse uh, about 30 minutes subway from our work so that the rent for that was only eight hundred and fifty dollars um and then we in terms of like spending money on transportation we didn't get a car like a lot of our friends were saying oh you need to get a car but you don't really if you live in a big city uh sure the cost of living is higher but if you like take public transportation it reduces your cost a lot and then when we need to get groceries we would l rely on car sharing right that yeah. only cost us around two hundred dollars a, a year and then uh on top of that for eating out in the beginning, we were actually not paying attention to how much we were spending, like right after university. So at one point, Bryce spent $400 a month on beer. Yeah, that was my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you realize this is our entire rent when we were in uni? I was like, like, whoops. That was, yeah, <laughs> that was that was a lot of money. Bad. That was my bad. I, I enjoyed it, but... Uh, <laughs> So that one was that one was a really easy thing. I didn't even cut it. I just it, that was just because I went out to bars and I and I was drinking pints at a bar. Mm. Then we just like at that point we just switched to like buying it at a grocery store and then drinking at home, mm. um, like over you know over dinner or with you know inviting friends to come over mm. with dinner. So that's a great example of things in which we did that weren't really cuts. They it was more like getting the same kind of experience or a similar quality of life uh, while spending far far less most people our age when we go when they first graduate the first thing they do is get into debt they go into they get a car and they get car payments they get into, they, they they buy a house they can't afford with a mortgage that's why it feels so hard that's why that's why life is it feels so hard for those people because as soon as you do that you're just tied into your job for the next 25 years yeah. You can't leave. Yeah. You can't argue with the boss. You, if the if the boss asks you to jump, you have to ask how high. You know, and that's why. And and, and they never know what freedom is like because they never had it in the first place. Like that. Like that was the. We keep telling people that the secret to financial independence is not hitting a home run in the stock market or, dep or or depriving yourself until it hurts. It's really just avoiding stepping on the financial landmines, and there are unfortunately a lot of them. What happens if you want to start a family? That's a great question. So one of the things that we learned while traveling is that we met um, this other community of people. Um, they're called the World Schoolers. So we met them while traveling in Tulum, Mexico. Uh, and this is actually quite popular in Australia and New Zealand, where um, like a family would maybe rent like an RV, uh, go traveling with other people. And they actually use the world as their classroom rather than going to the traditional school system. Right. Um, so in our book, we actually interview some of the leaders of this movement to talk about different types of education you can do on the road 
like correspondence schools is one of them, international schools. As a result, a lot of their kids are actually bilingual or even trilingual. And that's something that we think would be important. If we start a family, we would not stop tra traveling because that's our passion. And you actually <laughs> spend less, believe it or not, while traveling than staying in one spot. And we would want uh, our kids to be to be able to speak multiple different languages and kind of, you know, be able to uh, see what it's like in different parts of the world and different parts of the cultural culture, like instead of maybe learning about the Vietnam War, which they actually call the American War uh, in the textbook, we would actually take them to Vietnam and learn like, real life history. 